Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moget. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Banter, banter, banter. And we are entering the banter segment. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. It's good to hear from you, or maybe for you to hear from me. I'm not sure how that works on podcasting. (laughs) I think it just works. If it works, it works. Kind of like the podcasting equivalent of if I fits, I sits. Yes, pretty much. I see nothing wrong with that analogy. Well, I wasn't around last episode, so it's good for me to be back. It is. What do you have going on, Zen? Okay, well, uh, this is just a quick update for people that do not follow us on Discord. And if you don't, shame on you. Or on Twitter, because I posted in both of those locations. I think I may have even posted it on the Facebook group. But um, the last, like... Six episodes of the AP have become corrupted. And we're not talking about like by Dis or Orcus or something, are we? No, no. We're talking about like corrupted data files. Uh, and I believe it was when something got transferred, it got transferred to a bad sector on the on my external hard drive. And that's where I keep all of them. Now you're making me want to go sit and run diagnostics and check disk and all sorts of stuff on my external hard drives. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's how I feel. Um, But I am working to see if there is a way that I can pull them off of there. And if I can, what's going to happen is those, all of those episodes, all I'm going to do is slap a front and a back on them, and I'm going to post them raw to the Patreon. So the patrons will get to at least finish the, the adventure. Um, and because of that, I'm kind of splitting my time between that and working on the new AP that we just started recording a few weeks ago. And that one is going to start dropping into the feed not this upcoming week. Or actually, by the time this episode drops, it should be the next... The next one should be the first one of that. If all things go smoothly. Well, cool. But I'm working on that right now because that is more important. Getting those up is more important than trying to recover something that may never be recovered. 
I mean, I'm just trying to get back to card catalog and get those rolling again. I, I have these ideas. I just have to get them out. And it's just been, well, there are times where meat space, real space, physical space has demands. And those demands really must be met. So if you've been waiting for card catalog, I apologize. I've got stuff in the works. Going to try to do another fantasy one. Going to try to do another modern one. Going to try to play around with some stuff that I haven't played around with before, which means I've been, you know, falling asleep in the living room with, you know, an iPad or book collapsing on me. You've seen me with the piles (laughs) of books laid out where I'm going, hmm, yes. Uh, But – Trying to make sure that they are good, trying to enhance their value and bring something fun for the people, for you as well, Zen, because I know you're kind of missing them. I am. I even went so f- I've been missing them so much that I went out, got new assets to n- do new artwork for the card catalog. And you see it, and if that doesn't get me to finish up the modern one I've started that I need to kind of wrap up, I'm not sure what will. I don't but. Know. Enough of the inside baseball, behind-the-scenes chatter. Yes. We have an episode. So we, we do have an episode. And this episode harkens back to episode 90, where we were talking about kind of like design ideas. Well, see, and it, yeah, it's, it's fun that I'm back on this one because the long-form storytelling episode informs our episode on GM-centric design. It does. And that was kind of the I, – I had, I had kind of planned this. And to give you guys just a little bit of a, of a thing, we're going to be doing the next one. I'm just going to go ahead and give you guys what the title is, and that's Player-Centric Design. So if, if – like, what, what exactly are we talking about when we say – GM-centric design. What I take it to mean, and what it means to me, is that the GM has a distinct story arc that he or she wants to tell, similar to the long-form narrative discussion we had a couple of episodes ago. A GM-centric design of a campaign is a campaign where the major beats and praxis are in the hands of the GM. Yeah. Now, what this doesn't mean, though, is that you're laying out the railroad tracks. (laughs) Now, look, railroads are fun. I have stories set on railroads. I'm working on card catalogs that involve railroads. But players have to have agency. Yes, even in GM-centric design, yeah. the players, and even more than the players, the characters have to have agency. Yeah. So that is, that is a big one that you have to think about with all of the questions that we're gonna we're gonna be posing as to what kinds of things you do with those characters because you have to have. As the GM, you have to have a sharp and clear picture of that story that you're trying to tell. And honestly, GM-centric design works very well for GMs who have a, a kind of top-down design ethos. Yeah. You go back and look at our original discussions of top-down and bottom-up. I'm, I'm, I'm more on the GM-centric design side of things. Yeah. 
I'm also top-down design. This is also the kind of thing I like. But the reason you've got to have a really clear idea is because you have to know how that world reacts to the players. Yeah. Well, and and specifically with this, like, I feel like if you're doing this, so you have to, there's a couple of things that are, are pretty important when you're thinking about how you're going to design this in that regard. And that is that, you know, with the PCs, their characters specifically, how do they fit into the story? And are they going to be catalysts that are going to change what you already have? And what I mean by that is, do, are they just kind of like a piece because you've already designed everything else out and they're just like another piece into that cog that you kind of have an idea but you, you're still letting them have, you know, the ability to get to their end, whatever that end is within your story. Or are they there to literally take your story and make it become more collaborative? And I, I want to say bigger, but it's not really bigger, but it is different from what you're maybe your initial clear idea was. Because sometimes you can do that where you, you've designed it in such a way that the players with agency can actually change parts of the story to do something that you weren't quite expecting. Well, and I think part of that goes to how much you want to lock in those beats. Uh, the reason I described it as being beat-driven for the GM and not result-driven is I can have a GM-centric designed story where I don't know what the outcome will be because it will depend on the players. But also, I'm purposely putting them in a situation where they don't have control over the forces that are already in conflict. Right. So if I know it's mom versus dad over, about say with a custody fight using the internet and over the custody fight over the internet and pi is the weapon. We're talking about the matrix. Yeah. But sorry, old joke, cut that out later in post. <laughs> what the result is, who wins that conflict? I may not know yet. And because that may go to the player's choices. And if I'm working on a bigger theme that I'm going to ask them to examine, themselves in relation to what those larger forces happen to represent or have put in motion, it's good not to know which way they're going to jump. Yeah. It's especially if you're a horrible, horrible person like me, and there's no good answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you are notoriously a um, – you give them a rock and another rock. <laughs> And you ask them which one they want to be hit with? They're, they're both pretty. Just choose which one. Yeah. That is a hallmark of, of how I design. And, and in my GM-centric designs, it's easy to do that. It is. Because it's easy to not have a hero. It's easy for the players to walk into a situation where there has been a setup that they get embroiled in. And think that they've chosen to get embroiled in even. They can even choose to take sides between the two or three or four different factions and have agency that way. Yeah. 
but that doesn't mean that there won't be something unsettling, impure, imperfect about whatever side they take. And having to make a choice at some point in that campaign means they're having to face the question I wanted this game to explore. Uh, the example I used two episodes ago was you know, concentration of power corrupting. Yeah. If I stick them into a situation where there are five or six different factions arrayed against each other, and they start helping one faction to the exclusion of the others, so maybe a couple of them start dropping out. Yeah, it, it, it can turn bad fast. Then you just enhance the negative aspects of what factions are left each time someone drops out. And if the player, if the only faction that has player characters or player character level heroes uh, is the one your players are working for, their negatives from that faction are going to get enhanced too. And they're going to see their allies and their friends becoming more and more horrible in whatever way that story reflects. But that's one way I like to do GM-centric design, is not to have a set answer, a set result, but to have a set universe the players didn't have control over. I like to set the board, basically. And then see how their actions in response to the stimulus of my story beats, of my themes, get us to the end of that game. Right. Yeah, see, I... This is one thing that I've noticed that... uh, with with a lot of GM centric things, is they will have, there will be lots of moving parts, and there will be things that can be changed mm-hmm. through the course of the game. Now, sometimes you have certain elements that you don't want the players to be able to change because of whatever reason. Like you know, you know that you've got this. They are going to be like this key swing, you know, when the pendulum starts to swing, this is going to be that counterbalance that you've already put in place and you, they, they can't really mess with it for it to work the way you're hoping it does. Notice how I say those things. <laughs> because that, as soon as you kind of, if, if you have a group that is openly communicating, you can tell them, hey, I want you to not, this is, this is part that I don't want you to mess with in the game, just because I've got something in mind for it. Now, of course you may have that one player that's like, oh, that's the thing I'm going after. But if it's part of the social dynamic of your group, to kind of let you tell this so that they can experience what you have as an idea, then you can do that and you can get that to work sometimes. And if you do, one of the things that I've noticed is when when you do this sort of thing, a lot of times those design elements will have it actually baked into their setting that they're running. So it might even be something as weird as the way that they've chosen the rule set that they're going that you're going to use. Like 
all of those elements can enhance this GM-centric design idea because there are some rule sets that are great for that. And I feel like that is one of those things that is, it's the strength of that rule set. There's nothing wrong with it. It may not be the one that I would normally play, but if I've got like a, a really cool idea that I'm like, I want to run this thing, then use that rule set that enhances that already. Also, with the some, sometimes with the settings, some settings are built in such a way, like the old Dark Sun setting. <laughs> but it was very much driven by GM-centric design. Like, you had the, the Dragon Lords, and you really can't mess with them. It's really hard. <laughs> and so it's one of those design elements that is you can't really change this thing because it's there and it's baked into that setting. And that's, that's totally it, fine. Yeah, and it's good sometimes to have design elements or even characters that are better thought of as terrain. Yeah. Uh, that's – if you've ever heard me talk about Shadowrun, you'll hear me to refer to Harlequin, to the Great Dragons as, yes, they have stats. No, you're not going to kill them. They're terrain. Yeah. Even with stats, they're a terrain. In fact, if you look at the stats, it honestly – you read between the lines and go, no, your plan's not going to work. Why not? Well, I have five different options from here alone. Yeah. And that's no. – I, yeah, when I that, think that's I think a different story. In the first Harlequin book, they even specifically said, "Yeah, there, there's not stats because you cannot outthink him and have more contingency plans than he does." Now, it's okay to have components that are like terrain features, but the important part goes back to what we said first. Especially, and this is doubly important for GM-centric design. Make sure that characters have agency. Yeah. More than the players. Because, as Zen has kind of alluded to, there are players who will just go along with it. There are players who are like, you know what? Okay. I'm we'll, along we'll... for this ride. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. characters need to have agency. And if a character takes action against one of those terrain features, it, there needs to be a fair result yeah. and not seem like it's completely out of the loop for the response. But that's also where you use those terrain features in ways that set up other parts of the conflict. If we're talking about the player characters being involved in larger you know, battle scenes, battle sequences, those terrain features are the equivalent of an entire platoon, legion, depending on the scale, in a different theater that you hear stories about what they happened, what they did. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't change. Right, but that doesn't change the player's ability to have their characters impact what happens where they are. Yeah. Because that's, e you have to have that, that ability to move around inside the world. And GM centric design, in my opinion, needs that fully fleshed out or conceptualized world. Because if your player or players just want to go over the hill and see what's next and explore, 
you need to know how that relates to that story you're telling as a GM. Yes. And it may be that they just end up on the outskirts of the story you'd originally planned. And there's you know what? That, that's, uh, that's okay. That can be great because like if you were to do like – like if you were to play in Middle Earth during the time of, you know, when The Hobbit takes place, you're not – one of the 13 dwarves or Bilbo, you're playing outside of that, that story. Now you may brush up against that story from time to time, but you're not in that story. That's not your story. And it shouldn't be. And I think one of the best examples I have ever seen of a published module, actually box set, uh, that kind of embodies a good this GM centric design where there's a little bit of railroading, but players really feel like they have a level of agency and can impact results and actually start you know seeing bigger things happening. Is Wrath of the Immortals for basic D and D for Mistara? You've heard my love of the system before. Go back to see the card catalogs. In Wrath of the Immortals, it's a campaign that takes place across multiple years, across almost all of what is revealed about Mistara already, and the players and characters have an impact on a war between the Immortals that's going on. This war of the Immortals is happening, and the players are going to be in a place where they feel like they can affect it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they do one way, maybe they don't another way, but it creates a story that will feel epic and that the characters will seem to be in the midst of all of these events that matter. Whether they do or don't, well, go read the module and see how many different options there really are. But the important part is it gives characters a feeling of agency. Even in some of the times where they don't. Yeah. And it sets up and designs things in a way that where characters would normally be completely outclassed and unable to impact something, they actually can impact something because of other things going on. That's cool. So it creates an agency in certain spots in addition to the perception of agency that exists throughout it even though they're outgunned. That's really cool. So that that is kind of my closing thoughts or recommendation on GM-centric design, where we'll come back in two weeks and talk about the player-centric design, the flip yeah. side of this, which makes me much less comfortable and much more itchy. <laughs> Whereas this is where, that's where I thrive. I love that. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. The, the player-centric stuff is, I love designing <laughs> stuff for that. So. It's fine. I just get frustrated when players abandon themes they were working on and decide to completely go away from stuff that had been set. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's called, ha have you seen human beings? Yeah, <laughs> they do that, that all the time. Which is why. But that's for, that's for uh, in two weeks. Uh, find us on social media and tell us. Which sounds more interesting to you so far? Are you a Zen loyalist or a Gardemanger partisan? Please let us know on social media, which you can find all the links to at seizethegm.com. Yes. Okay. So let's go ahead 
and roll on into our step blocks. And now we enter stat blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Okay. Zengo. You would do that to me. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Sure, you've heard of the famous ones. Who hasn't? I mean, Godzilla, Mothra, you know them. But what about the ones who hasn't had a movie made about them? Also, you need to remember, those movies are not real. While the first wave of kaiju were attacking coastal cities, we were trying to find a way to combat them. The early days saw hunters that had figured out the pattern of the migration and killed them any way they could. Then a coalition of German and Japanese engineering created the first mecha. They were not much more than powered armor, trust me. But then the next wave increased the mass of them to something bigger. Then the latest wave of kaiju started showing up. Not sure where they were coming from, but they were here and they were big. Spagira was towering out at 345 feet, or for everyone else, 105 meters. That is when you include the spiral horn that makes up its head. Spagira had been seen in a few places, from the Philippines to Guam to Western Pau Pau, Indonesia. That's its hunting ground. It seems to superheat the water around it and spray it from the spiral as it attacks. Given that this one stays in the open water more than most, it seems like it might be a trophy worth hunting down. Fun. Kaiju's always good. (laughs) I love kaiju stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to say, you you went big, and and I kind of went small. Uh, with Grace Hilmont's will. You see, sometimes the most successful company is simply the one that produces the best products and services. Oftentimes, however, it's more like Mega Magna Mondo Corp. A Triple M clawed its way to the top at the expense of the morals and soul of the CEO, Grace Hilmont. She did not hesitate to make ruthless moves to establish superiority or undercut competitors, etiquettes, niceties, and legalities be damned. The entire corporate balance sheets could have been printed in red from the blood that ran to propel Triple M to the top. Now, that isn't to say that everyone turned a blind eye to what was happening. Members of the board and whistleblowers had certainly tried to stop her before. To no avail. Something had left Grace able to stay one step ahead of all of her competitors and establish Triple M supremacy in multiple markets and even multiple planets if you happen to play in that sphere. Perhaps this uncanny ability is why her... Untimely and accidental death seems so shocking. Who could have foreseen a skiing accident on the exact day and hour a blizzard would stop any ability to transport her out for life-saving treatment? It is time to settle her estate. And the biggest question is who will be the new CEO once her ownership is passed? 
the doors to her office won't open for anyone else since then, and nobody has dared try to break in. Does the secret to her ability to stay one step ahead lie in that room? Or did I mean lay in that room? Nice. Fun. So, as... We've got a... Yeah, we've got some ideas on how to use either of those in a game. Click over to the Doodly Deuce, also known as our show notes, and see what we have laid out. Yep. So, let's uh, go ahead and flip on into our next segment. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. You know what? Since this is your word, you get to do it. Oh, my word? Yeah. Oh, sweet. I guess I'd <laughs> forgotten I recommended him. Ah, so, our lexicon word today is literal. Not literal, but littoral. L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L. So what is this? This is a word. (laughs) Really? Really. And it is a word that means of, relating, or situated to growing near a shore, especially of the sea. So something that is just off the shore. Uh, It's a coastal region. It's between um, high tide and low tide points depending on which definition you're using. And so it's a word you can use to talk about anything that happens near your seashore, but neither quite on water nor in the ocean. It's another one. It's like another one of my favorite words, liminal. Literal is the liminal of the coast. Okay. I really wish I could see Zen's face right now. <laughs> now, the first known use of literal as an adjective was 1656, and as a noun specifically about that region, 1828. So a relatively recent word. But it is going to get its history from Latin, literalis, from litor or litus, meaning the seashore. So other related to the shore – derives into littoral in our current usage. And it is in the bottom 50% of words looked up. Nice. That's cool. And with that, and with an overly efficient and glorious kind of episode, it is time to talk about closing remarks and some recommendations. And so for me, I'm going to recommend the Oristaya. It is probably my favorite framework to drop players into for basically a GM-centric story like we discussed. The Oristaya refers to a Greek trilogy of tragedies by Aeschylus that are focused on the House of Atreus. It talks and explores how revenge can turn into justice and what it means to live in a civilized world. And those themes are explored through the death of Agamemnon and a cycle of revenge that 
culminates in the creation of the humanities from the Furies in the final of the three dramas. So, link to Amazon and the doodly-doo. Classic Greek theater with large overarching themes that could be seen as a way to tell GM-centric stories. Nice. And it's theater. It's theater. By Joves. It's a single Jove, thank you. We don't need oh, more okay. of them running around. There are enough of his kids, as is. Uh, all right. Well, mine is a TV show. And I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's called Jericho. I have not, but I know there's something about peanuts. Uh, <laughs> um. Okay, that's funny because I actually know. Okay, so I kind of jumped into this where my wife was watching it. And after watching it for maybe two or three episodes, I just started having all of these amazing ideas for running a game set right after the bombs have dropped. Now, the question is, do I want to run this? Yes, I do. But do I want to use T, T, like TMNT or do I want to use Fate? You know what I'm going to vote. <laughs> I know you will. But it actually doesn't have any mutants. It's shortly like it is in it's actually set in like a a place where if a certain number of bombs were to go off based on uh, climate patterns and everything else, this one part of the country is kind of left alone. I just say kind of because it's not completely left alone. And um, so the ideas for it were really, there's a lot of really fun ideas and areas, you know, to kind of place it in. It's so wide open. You can just kind of dig into this idea of the uh, uh, that post nuclear apocalypse where things are still kind of held together. And it's interesting where the story goes. Isn't this one that ended up getting picked up and got um, comic book sequels? Uh, it might have, but I, I do think, know that there's only two seasons of the show. I think, like Buffy, it may have gotten picked up by, uh, you know, of course, or IDW. IDW Devils do somebody to do some additional seasons. Uh, it's, it's possible because it's good. I mean. Uh, it sounds – I think I remember seeing it on the shelf, so that's why I am having it's, those moments. It's fun. It's not – you know, it's not high theater. It's, it's a TV just show. Just because I picked high theater this time. No, no. I'm just saying in general, like the acting is, you know, at times whew, rough. Uh, but it's – you know, you, you, you accept a certain level of – that when you're when you're picking something like a TV show, 
but it's a lot of fun and you can peel stuff out of that for any kind of like survival game it would work so well and a lot of the themes that they tackle are things that would be pretty prevalent in a in a game like that so well i think with fun. that we're nearly wrapped up for another great episode. Now, if you didn't know, you can find us on social media. And not just myself and Zen, but also our ersatz members like Noel and Jules. So look in the doodly-doo to find our emails, respective Twitters, Facebooks, Instagrams. Join us on Discord, Tumblr. Are we on Farmers Only? We are not on Farmers Only. And actually, the Tumblr is going to be going away because I have gotten no one to even look at it. So, yeah, yeah even me. Will be going away. Yeah. Uh, also, support us on Patreon. A few dollars goes a long way. You can buy a coffee as well. Please let us know what you think on one of the social media channels. And in the meantime, have some fun. And roll some dice. Contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of CCGM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage www.seizethegm.com Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.